Welcome to Centennial College Undiluted Podcast, Episode 2, Recognizing, Coping with, and Overcoming Racial Trauma. In this episode, we will discuss the causes of racial trauma and how to recognize it. Importantly, we will discuss ways to cope and manage the distress that emanates from racial and racial trauma and touch on anti-Black racism. Our main focus for today's episode is to create more awareness to the public and work collectively as a community within and outside Centennial College to dismantle anti-Black racism to pre- prevent racial trauma. Students guests Basirat Lafieu and Brandon Kalist will share their perspectives on these critical issues. And our professional guest speaker, Talisa Bolan, will partake in these conversations to create awareness provide support, and offer coping strategies for overcoming racial trauma. Now let's get started. I have here with me Basirat Nafiu. Basirat Nafiu is a final semester student of the Social Service Worker Program, an active member of the Experience Centennial Student Leadership Team, Centennial Toastmasters Club, a passionate volunteer, a budding entrepreneur, and a devoted parent of two. Welcome, Basirat. It is nice to have you here. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you, Joyce. Also with me here today is Brandon Kalist. Brandon Kalist, born in Toronto, both parents migrated to Canada from Grenada, currently a student in the Social Service Worker Program at Centennial College. Brandon has worked with organizations such as Urban Promise as a community counselor, and is currently volunteering with the Toronto Community Housing in Scarborough. Welcome, Brandon. I'm pleased Thank to you. have you here as well. Thank you so much. It's, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. And I am joined by Talisa Boland. Talisa Boland is the founder of Take Courage Counseling. She has a desire to work with people who are navigating through life's hardships and helps them to overcome them. Talisa's passion as a counselor includes working with black youth. Talisa holds an honors social service worker diploma from Seneca College, a Bachelor of Arts in Human Services from Tyndale University College and Seminary, an honors bachelors of social work and the masters of social work, both respectively from York University. Talisa is a registered social worker with the Ontario College of Social Workers and Social Service Workers Furthermore, Talisa currently serves at Centennial College as a professor and college field supervisor in the Community and Health Studies Department in the Social Service Worker Program. Her professional counseling experience includes working with various mood disorders, depression, anxiety, faith and spiritual issues, anger, and so on. And lots of other things. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. So, uh, I will move on. Yes, Joyce, I just want to say thank you so much for having me, and I'm very proud of you as well, too. So, the challenges that come with the impacts of racial trauma can be damaging, and we cannot deny these issues are worrisome and seriously affecting members of the Black community. I believe there is silence on this matter, and more awareness needs to be drawn towards addressing this crisis that I feel has not gained enough attention from the public. Before we go deep into our conversations, I would like to give a trigger warning to listeners. Centennial College Undiluted Podcast provides an open and safe space 
for important and thought-provoking exchange of ideas. Some content in this episode will include discussions that some individuals may find traumatizing. I would like to advise listeners about potentially triggering content. And I ask you may choose not to engage in listening to the podcasts in order for us to create an atmosphere of mutual respect and consideration. If you are feeling overwhelmed or, let's say, having a trigger due to these conversations, please do not hesitate to seek help with a Calx counselor. You can speak to a Calx counselor by sending an email to calx at centennialcollege.ca. Thank you for your understanding. Okay. <laughs> Beginning with Brandon. I was wondering if you could tell us some impacts of racial trauma from your perspective, which may include lived experiences and what you observe in the black community. Oh, okay. Okay, well, well, my my opinion is I believe um the racial trauma in itself is is almost like a psychological disease. Um it there's always a foundation and it stems from somewhere. Um and and a lot of times it stems like it stays in our mind. Sometimes forever, well, for me, it's it's stemmed. It's in my mind forever, for forever right now. Um, um, there's um, I can say like from the first time I was exposed to it, it was uh from uh, my own friend. Sorry, David. Um, I have to you know for educational purposes. Uh, yeah, he was in school and he called me the N word. Um, I like I didn't really when I grew up I didn't um really look at color like black and white. I just thought we were all like loving people and I was, I just believed in God, like, you know, so um, basically I, I kind of, I felt it, 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 I just knew it was, it was kind of derogatory, but I didn't really understand the N word. Um, as you know, my parents came from Grenada. They didn't really, um, I guess, experience white people calling them that word. Cause you know, Grenada is fully black people. So I had to, I guess, deal with it my own self. I actually, uh, I, I struck them. I hit them. Um, teacher ended up, he ended up crying to the teacher. Um, teacher came to like, hey, what happened? I'm like, hey, he, call, he called me the N-word. Um, and then she's like, okay. She told David to sit down. And, and that was it. You know, there was like no um, repercussion for David. Um, not that I was expecting anything. I just didn't understand like, hey, why, why, why did like my friend call me this word? And why did I feel so bad at this time, you know? And, and, and this was in grade, uh, grade three. And it always stuck with me. Um, me, me and David are friends now, but I don't, I don't, I don't even uh, think he understood what he was saying, but it did hurt me a lot. So that effect, you know, it was, it was strong, uh, uh, till now. Right. Wow. So, it, uh, just to clarify, um, so you're saying, um, that, um, word that would use the N word, you still feel it's up until now, like, yes, yes. Yes, and 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 maybe um, and it, you could even say maybe, I'm um, like you know you see it in the media, you see it in the workplace. Uh, it can hit you at a at a time, and like your, your your close friend, maybe your loved one might hit you with that, and maybe that has a deeper in, impact. You know, obviously, if I know you hear sometimes, uh, like you know your loved one call you something, it hurts you a little bit more, or someone you care about hurts you a little bit more, so. Uh, yeah, it, it, it left me. It left me in despair. You know, even even playing soccer, I, I used to play soccer, predominantly a white uh, soccer league, CYO, and um, and they would call me. Hey, get the black guy. Get the N word. Uh, 
but it was, I just had to cope with those strategies myself. And this is at a, at a young age, like 12, 14, you know, this one, I was like eight, six, but, um, so that, and these effects still linger today. You know, I, I shed tears. You can't, you can't get those tears that you shed back. You, the pain that you have is still remains, you know, um, until you find ways how to cope with these things. And, um, you know, which is why I always, uh, I try to promote a spiritual strength, you know, and, and power and, and, and stuff like that. I'll probably get into it later. Brandon, I'm really, really appreciative of your, you know, confidence and, uh, in seeing such, um, personal stories in this platform. Uh, and I believe that others that will be listening to this, um, podcast will actually identify and try to draw strength from your personality in terms of what you just spoke about. So thank you so much. And um, I will move on to Basirat. Okay, I was wondering if you could tell us some impacts of racial trauma from your perspective and considering your intersectionality as a Black Muslim woman or student. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Joyce. Um, yeah, I was taking in just what, uh, what Brandon just shared. And it just goes to show us how deeply, you know, the hurts that we feel when people experience racial trauma. It is something that is a, it's a serious challenge that it affects millions and millions of people every day. And like you rightly mentioned, this is something that is often not addressed. It's something that the society, the wider society, does not acknowledge or talk about. So people are left to deal with it by, the, by themselves. Like um, Brandon shared something that happened to him in grade three. That's probably 10, 15 years or even more. But mm. you can see how passionately he still speaks about it, how he could still feel the heart he felt back so many years back, still in the words that he spoke right now. Um, it's something that can, er- it can erode people's mental health. It makes it difficult to concentrate at work or school. And it constantly disrupts your life. He also mentioned about playing soccer and that out. That even plays out when he's playing with his friends and that not of the same color, right? So it's not something that we can afford to continue to ignore, I would say. It's something like we're having this conversation. It's a good way to start. It's something we need to bring to the forefront, that we need to address the impact and the effect on the people that are most impacted. And the exposure to discrimination, it can either be directly or indirectly. It triggers the trauma. Uh, again, Brandon also mentioned even on TV, we see it in different places. I cannot um, maybe speak of having a direct impact, but of course there's so many examples I can tell you about of uh, indirectly uh, experiencing racial trauma. For example, as a Muslim and a woman, a black woman too, but I don't wear hijab necessarily, I don't wear head coverings. But again, that does not protect me from feeling the trauma when I see the news of so many racialized, motivated assaults going on against mostly Black Muslim women. Like so many, I have friends, I have families that wear hijab. So when I hear these stories, it keeps playing in my head that this could happen to any of my loved ones. This could happen to any of my families. This could be my sister. And it's very disturbing. At some point last year, I think it was in Edmonton, there was a report of about five attacks on Muslim black women in a series of just 10 weeks. That was one too many. 
and it was disturbing. So I would go out, I would say, Muslim woman, I'm not wearing a job, I'll say one wearing a job, and I can fear for their safety. I can look around and be like, this person must be afraid. So it's, it's not something that we, we're not sheltered from it, even if we're not um, directly impacted. You feel unsafe in a place that you call home. And I can imagine just sharing from their experience how much more those that are indirectly impacted will feel. So the discrimination that they feel firsthand and the trauma for them definitely will be a lot more long-lasting. And it's something that can be very hard to recover from that if ever you recover from it. So I think, um, and, and again, so it all has to do with a systemic discrimination. And as long as the systemic racism exists, you know, it's going to be hard to, to do away with racial trauma. Wow, Basira, it's very um, thought-provoking, something to really reflect on. And this actually takes me back to some of the courses in the Social Service Worker Program that looks at um, racialized and marginalized women and the complex issues they have, looking at their intersectionality. It is really so, so saddening that you, we are all humans. So I, I, I do believe that nothing should separate us. We should all, there should be a form of equity in society. It shouldn't be about the color of your skin, how you look, where you're from. I think the world will just become a better place if we all learn to work collectively. But it's just a pity the capitalist system we live in and uh, post-colonial times in modern times is still uh, deeply rooted. And I think we are actually taking action by doing this, talking about it, because by the time this is aired, this episode is aired, well, at least it will reach a large audience. Um, thank you so much, Basirat. That was really, really, really thought-provoking. Uh, Talisa. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> As a professional in the field of providing therapy and counseling to youths and everyone in general, I would appreciate you share with us a brief overview on the meaning of racial trauma and its impact on Black students and the Black community as a whole. Yeah, I think, you know, Brandon, Ambassador, you, you both kind of nailed it on the head in terms of um, there's cumulative impacts of racial, racial trauma. It's not like I hear you talk about Brandon again, like that must have been so long ago that you had that experience, but it doesn't mean that it just goes away. And it, it, it causes, you know, what's called RBTS. So that's uh, race-based traumatic stress which is ongoing. So again, when we talk about trauma, trauma is often a term that we use in the mental health profession as, you know, psychological distress. But if you think about it, it stemmed and started from the medical profession. So within medicine. So if you think of a trauma, I don't know if there's any like Grey's Anatomy fans out there. I'm a huge fan. Um, but if you think about any of those episodes when there's a trauma, it's a state of emergency, Something really bad has happened. There is injury. There is harm. Um, so that has, you know, cumulative and long-lasting effects for people at times. Um, for, for those of us who identify as Black, uh, there is such a thing called post-traumatic slave syndrome. Uh, Bazarin, I think you talked about, you know, even though we are not, may not always be directly impacted, it doesn't mean that, you know, even seeing things on TV, the history of slavery and the denial of that sometimes um, within Canada, I think sometimes we look at the United States and say, we're not them, we don't have their issues. Doug Ford, a couple, I think, uh, years ago was um, at a press conference saying that, thank God, we are not like the United States. We don't have those deeply entrenched issues here. And we do. 
and we do. And when you see that, there is absolutely a denial of one's lived experience, which is so important. You know, I hear you, Joyce, use the, the correct word, equity. I think there's this belief within our society that, you know, um, that giving everyone equal access to things mean that, means that we're all in the same playing field, and we're not. So, right, you know, equity means, you know, what is fair? What do I need in order to succeed might be different from what you need in order to succeed as well, too. And then what does success mean as well, too, for us? So I think, you know, for Black students, you know, the racial trauma that they face, it's so entrenched and it is so, it's so multifaceted in terms of the way that it presents within the education system. Thank you so much. That was <laughs> everything, like, summarized in a nutshell. Okay, moving on to the next question. How can Black students or Black people recover from racial trauma? And this is going to be like a question I'm asking you all, but I'll start from uh, Basira. So I'll repeat the question again. How can Black students or Black people recover from racial trauma? I don't know if you could just touch on that. Then uh, I'll move on to, after Brandon, Talisa will tell us, um, give us different coping strategies, resources, and supports that are uh, available. So Basirats, over Thank to you. Thank you, Joyce. Thank you. I think one, everybody developed uh, different coping strategies. Again, I'll go back to Brandon. So it was good that Brandon started us off with his story. You know, over the years, even as a child then, knowing even that his parents were not acute because it's not something they dealt with, he developed a coping mechanism himself. So our natural survival resiliency instincts will kick in. One way or the other, you would, you, you would come up with something to help you cope. But again, to, you don't want to just cope. You want to be able to thrive. You want to be able to overcome this trauma as much as possible in the shortest possible time. And even if you cannot overcome it, that is, you want to be able to still live your life. Don't let, it, don't let it trauma cripple you and not be able to live life. So it's very important, that I think, um, for us, for myself, again, to not having experienced this, it's empowering when people know that there are people speaking up, you know, and those that have experienced it as well, I think it's important to create the spaces, such this conversation that is happening here, have positive spaces where they can participate, share their stories, if they're able to, you know, they, sometimes that's just what people want. They want to be feel, they want to be listened to, they want to know somebody's actively listening Somebody really cares. And again, so that's why we talk about this um, issue being um, systemic because people are not even uh, willing sometimes to even seek help from the authorities because they fear how they may be treated. They fear that they may be dismissed. So that's why sometimes just having somewhere where they can create a space where somebody can go share their story, receive help without being judged, where they don't feel discriminated, where they feel safe is essential. Then also finding supportive communities. So it's important to, I know, um, as black communities that we have, we have organizations, we have groups or clubs for students where they can get support. That I think is really essential. So even something outside of um, getting support for the trauma, but just a club that you know, you know what, this is a club that understands me. This is a club that I know, like, you know, what it feels like if I've been experienced being called the N-word. They know what, the, what it is like. They understand what the feeling is. They understand the rage that I'm feeling. You know, I would not go there and, you know, express my rage. And they, can, they get it. They would not see me as somebody that needs anger management because I've experienced that rage. 
you know, they get it because they have felt these emotions that I'm feeling. So having those spaces, I think, is important and try to just avoid, again, so you, you don't want to put yourself in situations that would re-trigger you, you know, if you're able to do that. Sometimes it's unavoidable. If it's something you're experiencing from work, you may not be able to just skip your work because you still need it to earn a source of living, which unfortunately is the reality of many. They still constantly have to revisit that way because they need that pay, paycheck to survive, you know. So just getting support is it's really, I think, um, it's the main importance. Have this supportive um, wraparound community, you know, that you can always go to, be it family, friends, if it's a community center, that you can really, yeah, you know, you feel loved. You know, those people really care about me. They can really get you support. So I think that's one key way, especially for students and even for non-students. We all... Um, we all are social human beings. Let's put it that way. We're social human beings and we just need each other to survive. And especially for us, uh, you know, black communities with so many intersectionalities of discrimination that we may experience, it's even more important for us to form that connection and be able to support one another. Wow, thank you so much, Basarat. Uh, you just reminded me of um, the events, the kickoff events of revitalizing there was something I said in that um, panel and I, and I said it with so much passion because I felt it was lacking. I, I advocated that um, we need more black mentors, more black coaches in faculty within the Centennial College community, you know, because it's not just about going somewhere to get support. Sometimes people, and I have experienced that, you're trying to speak to someone about how you feel, but the person doesn't, at the end of the day, you don't feel that connection and you go back the same way you, you, you came in. Do you get? So we need that space, that safe space where we can connect with people that have actually experienced or understand or know what it feels like to be in that situation. And in any space I go to, the first thing that happens is that I always look for who to connect with. There are some people you just try to connect and you don't find the flow there. So I really understand and appreciate everything you just spoke about. And I think just as much as Centennial College is doing everything to, to create um, a safe space and uh, the multicultural you know, society within the, co within the college community, I think uh, more efforts needs to be done in that area. Thank you very much. Okay, uh, Brandon, do you want me to repeat the question? You still have oh, uh, graphs of the question. No, I think I got it. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, I, I agree with Basarat. Um Safe space, definitely. Um, like what we're doing right now, given, you're giving us the opportunity to express how we feel. Maybe we can touch someone else and, and that could, you know, be the seed to plant their ideas and, um, you know, we can all come together and um, you know, grow and, and help each other. I feel like that's an important, especially in the black community. We need, uh, that's like number one, I feel we need to support each other. You know, how often do we walk down the street and we don't even say hi to each other. We don't, we don't smile, you know, um, also, um, the strength that we need, um, we need to, because of these, um, exposures to anti-black and all the biases and, and everything, 
we need to have that strength in ourselves. <clears throat> sorry, strength in ourselves to to overcome. So we got to have that spiritual strength, whatever that is in you, to um um to to over uh, overcome and combat this, right? So um, whether it is um, if you if you notice your friend is not is not doing good, or if you or if you notice that a community is not there, we need to come together and help each other. Um, for me, I, I felt anger and maybe not understanding and I felt alone. So, um, and, and, I, and my reaction wasn't necessarily the best reaction. So also having a, a good reaction. And I feel like that comes from the spiritual strength that you have in yourself and, um, the self that, you know, you, you love yourself, you know, these, um, the, the the effects has been so so strong that it, it affects us um our, how we deal with people how 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 we act you know we might just um just just how we operate in everyday life <clears throat> so um that's uh i feel like um loving each other you know that peace and love thing and um loving your neighbor and caring for each other and like you uh, creating this space is definitely on the the right path to for black community Thank you so much, Brandon. That is such a very, very powerful word, like love, giving strength, you know, being part of a community, having a voice, having a say, having that space, that safe space, really, really important. And uh, I also want to thank you once again, because it takes a lot of courage to talk about, you know, such uh, personal things in this kind of spaces. So thank you so much, Brandon. And Talisa, <laughs> how can black students, black people generally, let me just recover from racial trauma and what are the coping strategies, resources and supports that you recommend or are available for people that may experience such, uh, that may experience racial trauma or maybe having that, you know, beginning to feel that sense of, oh, I, I think there's something wrong somewhere, but they can't really place their hands on it. Sure, sure, Joyce. So again, I, I think, you know, all of you nailed it on the head um, already, but some of the things that come to mind for me is, you know, going back to, again, this definition of trauma, and again, there being injury, there being distress, something bad has happened. In order to, to you know, coping is not solving. Right. Coping is dealing with as you're going through. So I think, you know, when we think about it in that sense, when there is this like no sense of belonging within the education system and there's also at times there's no urgency to address this as well, too, it leads to a destructive cycle. Right. So sometimes it can be very difficult. Um, I think, Brandon, you use the word anger at times, exhausting at times too, to try and cope with something um, that is ongoing. So. Um, while we understand that anti-Black racism is a thing, it doesn't mean that I think that we have to accept it in our lives. So I think where you can do, do. And when you can stand up, stand up. Some of the things that you all spoke about as well, too. Um, one of my favorite quotes is by um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, um, passed away, I think, beginning of this um, year. But it says that um, if you're neutral in situations of injustice, you've chosen the side of the oppressor. If you see an elephant standing on the, the tail of a mouse, you're not going to say to the elephant, you're not just going to stand by and say, well, mouse, like, go run and be free. You're going to stand up and say something to this elephant, right? Paraphrasing there. Um, it is not, I think we also need to realize, you know, when it comes to this fight of anti-Black racism, it's not just for people who look like us in these four squares right now in this Zoom room. It is 
for everyone. I think until everyone starts feeling the pain and the heart, the hurtfulness of this, um, there's going to be difficulty seeing change. Um, I see a lot of performative action happening at times. I think, you know, um, when, when George Floyd was murdered, we saw a lot of organizations um, now coming up with anti-Black racism mandates and policies and procedures as well, too. But how much action do we see coming from these policies and procedures and mandates as well, too, you know, because it's important for us to not feel silenced. Um, I even think of like my own profession. Um, at times, if I tell people that, you know, I'm a professor, I'm a psychotherapist, um, and they're not black. And I, I can recall, you know, a specific example where I took my son to a mommy and me program the other day. And um, one of the, the workers there who was um, white passing, um, again, I, I don't like to trust, assume what someone's racist, but she presented as white, um, had said to me, oh, what do you do for work? And I told her, you know, I'm a psychotherapist, I'm a college professor, social worker. And there was just a look of confusion. It's like, you do what? I'm a psychotherapist, I'm a social worker, I'm a professor. And it's like, well, what education do you have to do that? Sure, I'll run you my resume. I have this X, Y, Z, Z, Z. And then it's still the look of confusion. So you do psychotherapy. It's almost like this disbelief at times that we're not supposed to be here. Like, how did you get that? How did you do that? So when I think about, um, you know, coping, um, it's not just coping because coping doesn't solve. But when I think about coping in this, this context that we're in, when there's this disbelief that we can, we can thrive, and be successful, it's important to surround yourself with black excellence. I think that's what I'm hearing Basrit said, saying Brandon saying you say Joyce as well too, surrounding yourself with those support groups and people um, who are thriving, black people who are thriving um, to succeed despite the hardships against us. Um, on top of that, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a psychotherapist myself. I have my own private practice. Um, I'm huge on therapy. Mind you, it's not always the most affordable. It's not always the most affordable. So this is also why I say it's important to watch your community. Um, there is strength and resilience in community as well too, but where it is ever possible, I encourage therapy, specifically a therapist who has that racially um, trauma-informed lens as well too. Um, yes, while a lot of universities and colleges do provide counseling and therapy to their students, I do believe another way in which we need to address these resources and how do we cope is schools should have, um, and I could get in trouble for saying this, but I stand by it. Schools should have specialized funding towards multicultural, funding multicultural or racial trauma-informed therapists for their black, brown, indigenous students. I think, I, I don't know if it was Brandon that said it, Basrit or Joyce who said it, you all may have said it, but it was said in um, this podcast that, you know, sometimes there is that lived experience piece that certain people may not understand. I'm big on education. I'm big on it. I've done it for a long time. I teach. I love education. But there are certain things that education cannot account for, and it is that lived experience piece that sometimes people may not understand unless they go through it. So, um, yes, I think it's important to be mindful of your, I think Joyce, you say, when I go into different environments, I find people I can network, network with and connect with and um, lean on and trust and talk to. Um, it's important. I know Centennial is making progress uh, within their anti-Black racism task force to do some of these action pieces, and I'm excited about that. I also know there's some beginning stages work happening because I'm involved in it within the social service worker program to address some of the things that we were talking about today. So creating a resource group that tackles um, these pieces. Cause um, I said to, to in a meeting the other day, 
um, with some Centennial staff, you know, I said to them, um, I'm tired of having conversations at times with people who get it. These conversations are important to keep having. I appreciate this platform and doing this, but there also needs to be the action piece. We know we've been dealing with this for umpteen years, right, of anti-Black racism and, 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 and discrimination as well, too. Um, what is the action towards addressing that? And I feel as though there needs to be more preventative measures opposed to just reacting. This situation happened. Um, now we have to react. There was anti-Black racism in the classroom. Now we have to react. There needs to be preventative measures that are outlined and action taken when we see these things arising. Um, so coping, again, is, again, connecting with your community. Um, resources for those who are looking for um, therapy options, I would suggest blacktherapistlist.com is a great place to start as well, too. Thank you so much. So you said, uh, uh, just to clarify, blacktherapists.com. Blacktherapistlist.com. So for those who may be looking for a therapist who identifies as black, um, it is a, a website that provides you with a directory of all black therapists as well too, some of which may have what's called sliding scale. So if funding for therapy, because again, it can be expensive as a concern. Um, you can put in your different parameters of what it is you're looking for and conduct the search there. Um, so that's a, a resource I think would be huge, but also again, um, I'm calling out the universities and colleges to, to put their money where their mouth is and get specialized, specialized therapists, trauma-informed, racially-informed therapists to support um, specifically the black and brown students who um, are coming in at a different playing field. Yeah, that is so, uh, that's a good way to call out to universities and colleges because we really need these uh, programs, we need these uh, services to help black students and brown students succeed academically in their personal and professional development and things like that. And uh, I just want to touch on something. We, uh, for the, I actually, I'm actually a co-op student at the Center for Global Citizenship, Education and Inclusion. And we're working, actually presently working on a Black Mentorship Initiative. I think that's a very, very uh, good cause in terms of uh, enabling Black students to connect with a Black mentee. That's also another way of uh, having people that understand you and come from, uh, come from the same kind of, they identify the same way you identify as a Black person. So. I'm doing a lot of research analysis on that and trying to like work with my team members in the, at the GCI to ensure that this program is launched, you know, which is why we made the Black Student Collective. So Basirat and Brandon, I would appreciate it if you've not filled the survey for the Black Student Collective to do that because the more voices we have, that's the way we can push for these things to happen. I would appreciate it if Basirat and Brandon can share brief recommendations as black students on how Centennial College community can become more involved in the fight against anti-black racism. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Centennial, um, I think what they can do, um, I think they can use the resources, um, get governments, institutions. I think they need to come together and also come together with the students, black students across maybe across the nation, and maybe uh, generate some type of solutions, uh, you know, some type of recommendations to, to help mitigate these, you know, imbalances in, these, uh, in, in the schools. Um, they, they, you know, um, there's a lot of students that want to make change. And I feel like if they had a little bit more of the students' input and, and worked as a collective instead of, 
you know, them make uh, the governments and institutions making the decisions themselves, then we could go somewhere. Uh, also, partnerships um, um, with other, I'm doing specifically Black because we just need more, um, you know, we just need more people uh, that's there and more opportunity for others. And um, a lot of, like you said, a lot of Black students don't know about the opportunities or don't even know things are even happening. So, I mean, if you ask them, I'm working with African Food Basket right now just for my um, placement. And I'm sure they don't know that, like, people don't know that there's black farmers out here. And, you know, maybe maybe they would support them, you know, and maybe um, the institution could could somehow incorporate that all together, you know, because there's so much black businesses and so much people that are willing to help and help the world and society as a whole. Um, but there's like barriers there. So I think uh, organized, I think it's going to take a whole collective of governments, institutions, um, students, and, um, you know, uh, maybe community leaders as a whole and, and to start this um, discussion. Yeah, I, I really um, agree with you in terms of um, the barriers. Sometimes uh, we want, as Black people, as Black students, Black faculty, there are certain things we really want to happen, but the system itself doesn't let that happen. There's always this systemic barriers that just pulls you back and, you know, you begin to wonder, even when you make suggestions. So I think uh, the college as a whole, as a community, and you talked about different organizations, I think there should be a time, first of all, to reflect they should try to put themselves in black people's shoes and reflect and see how it feels like to 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 uh, try to provide solutions and you're being pulled back. You want to give a voice and you're being pulled back. You want to show your skill and you're being pulled back. So at the end of the day, it's all about oh the color. It's all about oh this person is black. I don't think and Talisa mentioned something about the look on the woman she had an encounter with, like the look on her face, a look of confusion. Some people just have this biased mindset about black people. Oh, they can't do it. But there's so much, I said something in the panel, we are so powerful. Black people are superhumans because the kind of things, if you look at history and things that have come and gone in the past in terms of uh, civil activists, people, advocates, uh, pace setters, and for, in terms of black people, their excellence and all that, you find out that they have that resilience that has made them thrive through so many things. So that strength, that resilience we have as black people, I think having that opportunity and that platform to, which at the end of the day, it all comes to equity, giving that, that space to thrive and making equity actually happen. It's not about saying it. It's about the action. I think black history is not being taught in the in school generally, like from 30, uh, elementary school, kindergarten. My daughter comes home and what I see in her, what they teach them, I don't really see much of black history. I think the indigenous um, history, they just started teaching that due to the TRC and um, the call to action for you know, teaching that um, topic in school so that people, uh, children are aware of um, the indigenous communities, the original people, the First Nations people, and how 
uh, they've contributed so much in terms of resources and land and every other thing. I think it should be included in the school curriculums. I don't know what the government is doing about that. And Talisa also mentioned something about uh, the anti-black uh, racism tax force doing something in that area. So I, I really can't expand on that. She knows better. Well, thank you so much, Brandon, for uh, highlighting on in those areas. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, Basirat, can you give me? Can you give us a take on what you feel in terms of uh, the recommendations to involve Centennial College community more to fight against anti-black racism? Thank you. Thanks for that question. And what comes to my mind, black excellence, a lot of black people that we know that have succeeded, it, they did not happen overnight. It wasn't like they asked and they got what they wanted the very minute they asked. So we have to make sure like even students as blacks in different roles and capacity that we continue to speak up. We continue to, you know, make sure we ask for what we need. We, have, we ask for things that we've we feel that being denied to us, right? Um, um, also, going back to that collection, having that dedicated group, it's important. Because really, uh, no one is going to come save you. Come to think about it. This uh, black discrimination we've been facing, it's not just now. It didn't happen in the 20s. It's been so long. So it's about time, you know, you have that one voice. And to have that one voice, you need to have the group. You know, having that collective, it's very important. At least people can share their experiences. You have that unified front. So I think that's a good place to start. If students have like a group, I know there's Filipino club. And I think I recently somebody messaged me actually about a black student group. I'm not sure if it's the same one. So that would be a good place to start for students. They know they have that group. And it's not even, they won't feel the intimidation to go out there. If there's even any experience of something they're experiencing out there, they know this group, I can come here, I can share it. So that's giving the student, the, the students that forum is a good place to start. And also the Anti-Black Racism Task Force by Centennial College, it's a good initiative. I was part of that. I contributed, worked on the educational piece of that um, with my group. But it, again, so it's been ongoing. I know this, the college is putting a lot of good work. It's not some um, there as professional expertise input on this. There's so many community consultations that has gone into this work. But it's, it's just that apprehension that, okay, that fear, that is this going to be another piece of manual that will go on the shelf? You know, I have so many, I have a lot of belief and a lot of uh, hope in this work that has, the work that has gone into the anti-black racism tax force working group on all the recommendations, but I'm so anxious and looking forward to them being put into practice. You know, that that's where you get that reassurance. That's where you get that comfort and like, yes, the college is actually listening. You know, when you actually see those recommendations being put to action, that will be the justification to know that all the work put into that was worth it. That is not just performative, like all the recommendations actually being action. So um, that's what I'm really looking forward to. I know so much work and so many Black people, so many non-Black, a lot of input went into that work. So I'm really anxious and looking forward to see the actions um, that will come out of that. Thank you, Basirat. And I'm going to, uh, so going to Talisa, um, in terms of, um, Basirat mentioned something about 
ensuring that that she is hoping that the all the work that is being done by the anti-black racism task force will not go <laughs> on the shelf. So we as students, we are wishing that it comes to reality and these actions, like this plan, is going to be beneficial to, to the black community within the college and even outside the college because it's 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 on their radar and I believe you know the the, the chairs um they, they care. They care about the work they do they're doing. They are also um black identifying racialized folks. Um you know I think that there's a quote that I, I often use um people don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. And I get the sense that um they care. It's not just about knowing and here's my degrees and people need to know you care and I'm seeing that um what I call heart work within the anti-black racism task force. So while I can't speak for the whole thing, um, I am optimistic, but I also, Bazarin, I, I your anxiety resonates with me as well too, because I think a lot of times we come together, we put pen to paper, we understand, but it's that action piece. But I think um, there's great representation with it in the anti-black racism task force. And um, I'm excited to see what comes, comes out of it. We're, we're talking about a lot of the things that you all mentioned. I, I started taking notes because again, um, there's, again, I briefly mentioned more work going on within the SSW program that I'm involved with, with other uh, Black staff who are trying to, again, do these action pieces. So I took in some of the things that you said. We're, we're trying to do, you know, um, these safe spaces that you all spoke about that are so important for folks to be able to have. We're trying to have, you know, more representation and not just um, representation in terms of, like, there are there's Black faculty within Centennial, but... Um, they're involved in the, the decision-making processes as well, too, about what happens with the Black community within Centennial. So it's not just about having, I think sometimes there's this notion that you have a seat at the table, you should be so grateful. It's not just about having a seat at the table, it's about, okay, the action that we're talking about that comes from it as well, too. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, I see people mobilizing their privilege within the anti-Black racism task force. It's not just made up of members who are Black. There are members who are Indigenous. There are members who are white as well, too, which I think gives me hope as well, too, because as I said before, this is not just our fight for people who look like us. So that gives me hope um, because, you know, you have to be ready to be uncomfortable to do this work. We as Black people have been navigating the world in an uncomfortable state at times our whole lives, right? So it's time for those who hold the power and privilege as well, too, um, to feel some of that, and I see that we're having some uncomfortable dis um, discussions, which need to happen because this is not just fluffy work where we're, we're going to be polite and, and just keep it surface level. It's hard work that we're doing to combat this. So I'm optimistic about the action pieces. And I also see, you know, I called it up before, um, putting your money where your mouth is. I, I see that there are some initiatives that involve dollars and will take um, money to do some of these things as well too. So there's budgeting and planning around finances with that too. So um, yeah, Joyce, I, I can't say what will happen in the future, but I can say from what I've seen, I am optimistic. I think they're taking steps in the right direction um, to try and address and combat this anti-black racism we're seeing within within Centennial College. Thank you so much. <laughs> At least we are hopeful and believing yeah. that everything will work out. I think we have to be. And I like the fact that we are working as a collective, yes. irrespective of how you look, your color and all that, which makes it so, so important. Because having, not just having allies, but having allies that put, act, put action into what they are doing. 
because you actually have allies that will just say, oh, we'll do this, and yet they are not being part of the solution or being part of the plan to take out that action to make these things come to, to reality. So I'm really, really, and I think I must uh, commend you all in the task force, and I'll also commend Centennial College for giving that space, because if you look at majorly all the universities and colleges, you still have some colleges or universities that do not really give that safe space for you to carry out such um, actions. So well done to you all in the task force and well done to Centennial College and every other department that is working towards ensuring that um, we have a platform where we can really, really thrive as Black people. Okay, finally, Talisa, what steps should we as a collective, okay, I think you've addressed that, take to address the issue of anti-Black racism. You've addressed that, so I don't think... I don't think there's any other thing to add. <laughs> yeah, I think we've all done a great job yeah. of it in terms of, you know, addressing that, the things that you can take to take care of um, your mental health and well-being, for sure. So, so, it's been an amazing, amazing time with you all. I learned a lot, like, a lot, so much wisdom, so inspirational, and I'm sure this episode will really be beneficial to a lot of people. Okay, before we wrap up the episode, I would like to thank Brandon, Basirat, and Talisa, and I would also give, open the floor to ask um, Basirat and Brandon if they have any questions for Talisa, and if not, we can move on. Not a question. Um... It's more just a commendation. I, I know it always gladdens my heart, like um, when I see representation, <laughs> let's just put it that way, you know, and also like people of color in spaces like this, they kind of inspire and motivate others as well. So it's good to see that, you know, yes, what, what, what are people talking about, you know, when they say Black people can't do this. This is a representation. This is somebody that has done it, and there's so many more. I know of Professor Donner, you know, there's, we have so many Black within our Centennial Social Service Work community. And there's so many people like that. We have Dr. Azan, you know, we have, uh, we, we have, um, what's other name, Patricia. We have uh, so many people too that, that are in, um, Tricia, I meant Tricia to say. And there's also, um, I forgot the names, but there's a lot, you know. It, it just gladdens your heart to, to know that this can be done. And not just being there. Those are people that speak up. So you're motivated to, to be like, you know what? Yes, this is what we need. We need people to speak up. Right? And that encourages others. It encourages students that are just entering the college when they experience discrimination that it is okay. You're not, um, you've not done anything wrong. So you are the one that should be speaking up. You should not be silenced. So when we see people like yourself, it, it really motivates and inspires um, others to do, to do this work and activists and so to say and advocates. Thank you. Well Basiraz, I think Talisa will reply to you. <laughs> no, I just I just wanted to say to say thank you and, and um I applaud you know all the black professionals within our college who like you said it's not just about being there, it's about speaking up as well too. I applaud you as students for speaking up. This is not easy. This is gonna go out to the masses and you're talking about your experiences as well too. So I tip my hat to you as well too. Um, that representation piece is so important. You know, I've had quite a few students tell me that I'm the first black teacher they've ever had. And 
while it's such a heartwarming feeling, like I can be that representation, there's a hurtful piece of it as well too. Like you've gone through elementary school, you've gone through high school. Some of them have done university and come in or college before, and this is their second diploma. And, and it, it's it's hard, but you know, we we thrive. I think Joyce, you said we are resilient, powerful, beautiful, wonderful people. So I am um, I'm proud of you both for even just being all of three for just even being a student. There are people, again, going back again to, to what I was saying before, that don't expect us to be here, um, that don't expect you to thrive. So, so hats off to you. Hats off to you. Thank you, Talisa, for those uh, words of encouragement. So, Brandon, anything, for, <laughs> anything you want to say to Talisa? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm about to double back on what uh, Barisat said. Um, yeah, I'm one of those students that didn't really have a – the opportunity to have a black teacher, to be honest, you know, I'm a, I, I, I just didn't have it. Um, maybe a substitute came in once in a while. I was like, yeah, we made it, you know, but um, we didn't have too much. So it's, it's, it's we got to give them our their flowers, you know, it's amazing to see just, just seeing you there, um, you know, impacts us. So we're like, yeah, we can do it too. And, and, and just you being there, you know, shows it. So we, you need to get out the praise that, you know, you deserve and you're, you're beautiful, black, smart woman, you know, and that's amazing. And um, and I think like for the young ones, they see this. They like, I went to school just so I, my little sister can do it. You know, uh, I I didn't necessarily want to do it at the time, but I just knew how that the impact it would it would drive. You know, we were the, one of the first uh, ones that went to college and to do this. So um, also I was gonna double say this. I know the city has even said the the mayor said like yeah, they're they're putting money towards this anti-black because they they know that it's running. It's it's going. Out of, out of control right now so that shows like how much this is needed how much this discussion is needed and how much um, what you guys are doing is needed uh, you and you Joy so um, this is amazing and I'm happy that uh, if this can just reach anybody and maybe spark something in them to, to do more and to fight and to even like you said it's not just black but also the white people all types of people Chinese like everyone we all need to come together because we all we all gonna we all have our own fights and you know we need to show that we care. It's the human thing. Yeah. Wow, Brandon. <laughs> so so inspirational. Thank yes, you. Yes, Brandon. So thank you. Thank you for your kind words. And both Master and Brandon, uh, Joyce, we're connected, but uh, please stay in touch. Touch with me. Connect. Connect. As we talked about before, community is important. Support. Resiliency. Um, so please feel free to connect with me. But thank you, Brandon, for your for your kind words as well too. No problem, no problem. <laughs> okay, uh, thank you, everyone. That brings us to the end of this amazing and thought-provoking episode. Once again, thank you to Basirat, Brandon, and Talisa for joining me in these discussions on overcoming racial trauma and anti-Black racism. And I hope the discussions were beneficial to you as always, thank you for listening to the Undiluted Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the Centennial College Podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Bye for now. <laughs>